um, I, I, I talked to mom, because of course mom, right, is our children's pastor, and I'm like, Ma, have you ever taught Ananias and Sapphira in kids' church? And she goes, not that I can remember. And I went, that's because you didn't grow up Baptist where we just got to scare the bejeebies out of you. Because I firmly remember, I don't know who this woman is, okay? There's nobody in here, I know that, because you didn't go to the same church I did. An elderly woman during children's church teaching me that if I ever lied, God was going to kill me. At least that's the moral that I got. This is a terrifying story if you don't understand the context around it and what's going on. It just appears that two people did one sin and God went, you're done. Not quite, but to my little seven-year-old brain, shh, yes, that's what happened. And you can ask my dad, I never lied from that day forward. Obviously, I'm still here. We are talking about Ananias and Sapphira today. Um, and it is a harrowing tale. This is not a tale that I would teach to a lot of kids. There are other places you can go in Scripture to teach them about lying and stuff like that. It's a harsh reality of how God views sin. It's a harsh reality of the punishment of sin that he saved us from. And it's a good reminder, you can't fool God. You can't trick him. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. He sees the sin, but more importantly, he sees the heart. And that was the problem, as we're going to talk about, with Ananias and Sapphira. Yes, they sinned with the, uh, spoiler alert, they lied to God and stole. They did. I don't think when we read this, that's quite why God killed them. There was a heart problem behind it there that led to the sin. Let's talk about it. We're in Acts chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 11. I also never knew how to say this name. I knew the story of Ananias and Sapphira, but I had a friend in high school whose name was Anais, and this just like adds letters to it, so it always confuses me when I read it. So, my apologies. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge, and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. So I think the first question we need to ask is, which men in here will be carrying the dead people out? Anybody? Any takers? Can you imagine, right, Peter's like, God's killing you, and Ananias drops dead. And then he's like, all right, you four, take care of the body. 
I'd be like, am I going to be dead too? Am I going to die if I don't take care of the body? What is this? Or did they have it already planned? Peter met with them like in a huddle, like in football, right? All right, I'm going to tell them they're going to die. And you four, you're going to carry them out. All right, break. I don't know. This is how my brain works with these things. Because there's real people, these real men, really carried a real person that had just died in front of them and buried him behind the, the church or whatever, right? I don't know how it works. Whatever. But let's talk about it. Number one on your note sheets there. Number one on your note sheets. Failed leadership. Because there's a part of this, that story, that doesn't get talked about very much when we're talking about Ananias and Sapphira. And it's this. Ananias didn't step up and be the man of God he was called to be. Men, you have a call on your life, especially if you are married, to be the mental, emotional, and spiritual head of your household. I do not mean to be the primary breadwinner of your household necessarily, although in a lot of households that's the case. But I'm not talking about the amount of money that's brought in. I'm talking about if you are married and or have kids, you are called by God, not just called, commanded to be the head of your household. It falls on your shoulders. So even if, and we don't know this, but even if Sapphira came forward and went, I've got a plan. We could save some money. Ananias needed to step up and go, no. We said we would do X. We will do X. I'm not saying Ananias needed to step up and, you know, backhand Sapphira and be like, I'm the man of the household. No, 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 no. I am saying that men, you are called to be the leader of your household, to step up, to bear the brunt of everything. You are, not your wife. You are. And Ananias failed miserably, and it led to the death of himself and his wife. I'm deadly serious on this. It is, a, it is an epidemic in this country and across this world. Men not standing up and being men. We don't talk about that much with Ananias and Sapphira. But if Ananias had stood up and been the spiritual leader of his house, this doesn't happen. Instead, and we don't know whose idea it was. Maybe it was Ananias. Maybe it was Sapphira's. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. It just says that they, they did it together. And I, I, I'm led to believe it's Ananias because it says that Sapphira had full knowledge of it. Which leads me to believe that it was Ananias' idea, which in my mind is even worse. There's a failed leadership here. And you men, we are called, if I can put it this way, we are called to lead our households to righteousness. We are called to lead our households to righteousness. It's a big task. I'm not saying it's easy. It's, what's God called, it's what God has called us to do. And Ananias fails miserably at it here. Miserably at it. We read he's deceived by Satan. Okay. I get it. We've all been there, right? Well, I won't say that Satan has showed up to us, right? Satan is not uh, uh, omnipresent. He is one being in one place at any given time. And I don't think that anybody in this room is important enough for Satan himself to show up to you. Just saying. Not that Satan could do anything more than any other demon could, to be frank. But we're not, this is not a sermon about demonology. Um, but the fact of the matter is that maybe Satan is whispering in your ear. Maybe he is. Not an excuse. The devil made me do it. Sorry, doesn't work. Doesn't work with me. Doesn't work with God. This whole sermon is not about that, but I wanted to point that out from the jump. 
because it's a massively under-talked about part of this story that Ananias failed to be a righteous husband and to lead his wife the way she's supposed to be led. And if he makes one different decision and stands up and is the man that God has called him to be, he lives and Sapphira lives. Instead, they both die here. Now let's get into the crux of, of this. So we read there, right? We read it all. So number two of your note sheets, why? Just why? Why did this happen? And right, I'm putting aside the whole, the whole men stuff, right? Why did God do this? So we read that Ananias shows up, right? They sell a piece of land. Let's talk about this, right? We have spent the past weeks, outside of last week when we were downstairs in the fellowship hall, right? Talking about how the church, the early church, was selling off everything and giving it to the church, right? That you were selling off land, you were selling off property, you were selling off everything and giving it to the church. That is the backdrop we find this in. This was not just a random act by Ananias and Sapphira, right? They weren't sitting in church one day and went, I think God's calling us to sell our, our piece of property. It was a church-wide thing that they did not have to participate in. I learned a very valuable lesson uh, when I was younger, 18-ish, right? I was at college, and uh, they were asking for uh, commitments, right? You've probably heard these sorts of things. Commitments to give a certain amount of money a month to a certain cause, right? Mine was for a very specific missionary. And... Um, I didn't, feel, I didn't feel called that I needed to do it. I felt peer pressured that everybody else was doing it. So I better do it too. And I was talking with my mom and dad about it, and it was a six-month commitment for five bucks a month, which doesn't sound like much, but when you're a college student without a job, that five bucks, at that time, it doesn't anymore. At that time, bought you a 20-piece chicken nugget from McDonald's. How do I know that? I spent quite a lot of five dollars at McDonald's that first year. But I came home and I was talking to my mom and dad about it. And I went, I, don't, I didn't feel called to do this. And my dad went, doesn't matter. You made a promise to God you would do it. You'd better do it. You better keep your promise. Whether or not God called you to do it, you make a covenant with God, you'd better keep it. Because God went, all right, I wasn't asking for you to do that, but fine, you did it. You better keep it. So even if Ananias and Sapphira are not called by God to sell this piece of property, they said they would and donate the proceeds to the church. They said they would do it. This morning, Maddie's the one who writes our, our tithe checks, right? So Maddie's writing our tithe check this week, and uh, she goes, is there anything that we need to put in there? And I went, I don't know why, but what's sticking out in my brain is that I got an extra something from somewhere and we needed to put, I needed you to add $20 to it. And I went, do we need to? And then I went, I mean, I'm preaching on Ananias and Sapphira this morning. We'd better do it. We'd better do it. There goes those chicken. They're almost 20 bucks now. Oh, it's horrible. I love chicken McNuggets. It's not a real chicken nugget. I'm well aware of that. They're amazing. Anyway, uh, so, so right, you make a promise with God. You keep it. Whether or not God called you to make that promise, maybe I didn't write that down on the let's apply it. You add it to the let's apply it. You make a promise with God, you keep it. You keep it. So they've made a promise with God. They're going to sell this property. And they're going to donate the proceeds, right? Whatever they get. And here's the thing. Peter tells them, you didn't have to give everything. If you said, God, we're going to sell this and we're going to give 50%. 
then that's all God would have asked for. If they had said, God, we're going to sell this and we're just going to give the 10% tithe off of it, that's all God would have asked for. They said, going through puberty, they said, I'm going to give 100%. I'm going to give it all. So they needed to give it all. It didn't matter if things changed. Maybe they got a really expensive medical bill in the mail that week. And they could have really used that extra bit. Maybe inflation went up and they really could have used it. Gas jumped 40 cents on them and they weren't aware of it beforehand. They really could have used that extra. It doesn't matter. They made a promise to God, you better keep it. You better keep it. And so, Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias has this idea, right? We'll blame it on Ananias. Ananias has this idea. Peter doesn't know how much we sold it for. He doesn't know. So instead of giving him all of it, let's say... You know, we sold it for a thousand. Let's tell him we sold it for five hundred. Let's keep that five hundred in our pocket. He won't know. He's just a man. And Ananias is a hundred percent correct. Peter is just a man. And it's not like today where if you sold a piece of property or a piece of land, I can Google it and find out how much you sold it for. Maddie and I the one day looked up because we were curious how much Maddie's parents bought their house for in what, ninety one, ninety two? Because we were interested. That was 20 plus years ago, people. And we can find it very easily. 30 years ago. Yeah, you're right. 30 years ago. I don't remember how much it was. Considerably less than you could buy a house of that size for today. Right? It's not like that back then. Peter couldn't go and find out necessarily how much it was sold for. So it's this genius plot. And we've all been there, right? We've all lied, especially to our parents, and go, there is no way they can find out the real thing. There's no way they're going to get it. I can do this. What we don't understand, though, in, in this story specifically with Peter, is that it wasn't Peter who needed to know the real price. It was God. And God is omniscient. Now, I think we should define what omniscient means. Omniscient does not mean he knows everything. It means he knows everything perfectly. It means... He not just knows every choice you're going to make and the outcomes therein. He knows every, the outcome of every choice you could make, not just the ones you will. That is an incredible amount more knowledge than we even give God credit for. The best way that I've found to explain this is he knows exactly what would happen if I chose to walk over to my, my brother-in-law and just clock him as hard in the face as I could. He knows exactly what would happen for the rest of time from that moment. He also knows what will happen if I do not. I'm not going to. He knows both paths, and he knows them both perfectly. So if you think you can fool God, I've got other news for you. He not only knows what you know, and more than you know, he knows absolutely everything about everything. It makes my head hurt sometimes. That's the person Ananias and Sapphira are trying to fool. That's like trying to fool your dad who knows all of your teachers because he went to school with them. When you get home from school and he goes, so how was school today? And you got yourself detention because you were an idiot. And you're thinking you can hide that a little bit. Didn't work out very well. Turns out he got a phone call. School calls. The school calls, and that's dumb. I can't wait to have kids. Because I can't wait 
to be able to do some of the things that my dad did, right? I've read some stuff, and it's all about, don't do what you do to your kids, what your parents did to you. Oh, no, I will. I was tortured. They will be, too. I'm going to say because I said so. And maybe I won't even have a real reason. I don't think he did half the time. No. But, right, but that's the person God straight, not God, the Ananias and Sapphira are trying to fool. So Ananias shows up first, and he's like, hey, we gave this amount. Here you go. And, and you know, he's probably feeling all high and mighty. He's going to pull one over. And Peter goes, hey, um, why did you lie? Have you ever been caught in sin? Right? And there's this moment of, oh, I remember being a kid multiple times. I was a good kid, not a perfect kid. And um, dad going, so, X? Or catching me in it. My dad was excellent. See, the problem is with one lie, you've got to keep lying in order to cover up that lie, right? And my dad was excellent at just weaving you around until you were so in so many circles, you didn't know what the original lie even was anymore. When he knew the truth all along, it wasn't fair. And then at some point, right halfway through the conversation, he'd hit you with this line. If you just tell the truth, it'll be easier on you. I am telling the truth! You weren't, but it's all right. At that moment, Ananias probably went, oh, crap. All right, I got caught. I got caught. It's not going to be that bad. And Peter goes, listen, while it was yours, while it was still yours before you sold it, it was yours to do with what you will. God gifted it to you. It was yours to do with what you will. If you had sold it and it, it said, I'm only giving 50%, fine. 20%, fine. You have the choice then. When you had sold it even, it was still in your control. That doesn't mean it was in his control to give a certain amount anymore. It was in his control to do the right thing. And you had, you had two chances to do this right. And you failed both times. And it spoke to a heart problem that Ananias and Sapphira have. It was a deeper issue than just a lie. We have all sinned, right? I would wager most of us in here have sinned this morning. Maybe you were coming on, the, on a drive here right this morning and somebody was going 35 and the 55 and you went, sorry guys, road rage is a sin. Just letting you know. Maybe you've got kids or grandkids and boy, that, that little bugger just got on your nerves this morning and you went, right? There's tons of ways that we can sin. This is not nearly as much about the sin which is wrong. Do not misunderstand me here. Sin is sin is sin. It doesn't matter the situation, the circumstance, anything. Sin is sin, and sin is always wrong. Okay? But God, and we read this throughout Scripture, cares very much more about your heart than the actual sin because out of your heart comes your actions. Sinning every once in a while happens because we're human. And God is forgiving. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? God's forgiveness in our lives, because boy, we need it. If you are constantly caught in a sin or premeditated sin, that's a heart thing then. That's not a, I slipped up, God forgive me. That is, you have a heart problem. And Ananias and Sapphira very clearly have a heart problem. And they actively try to deceive God. So why does God kill them then? One, sin leads to death. There's just happened a little quicker. But I also find this very interesting. 
We read in verse 5, and then again in verse 11, the same basic words. And great fear came over all who heard it. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. God was proving who you were dealing with. Make no mistake in this. Jesus, while he was on the earth as a man, was meek and mild and humble. Those three words do not, in my knowledge, describe God the Father. God the Father is not humble. He doesn't need to be. He's not prideful. He just is. He's not meek and mild. He is loving. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is forgiving. We love those aspects of him. God is also just and holy and righteous and wrathful. Not angered, wrathful is what it calls, is what it said in Scripture. He does not suffer sin for long. He doesn't have to, and he shouldn't, quite frankly. So he's showing them, who are you dealing with? You are dealing with God, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent Yahweh, the I Am. You are not dealing with one of those petty pagan gods that the, the, the Greeks would follow and the Romans would follow and various other cultures would follow. You are dealing with the God, capital G. That's who you're dealing with now. And you're not going to lie to me like this. Also, we read, right... Kids should have a healthy fear of their parents, right? Right? I have always been, I am now 28 years old. I have always been afraid of my dad. Not that he would hit me, not that he would harm me, but that I knew who I was dealing with when I got home if I was an idiot. That fear kept me, quite frankly, out of quite a lot of trouble. Because I had friends who were not bad kids, but who would be like, like I had a very strict curfew. It was 10 o'clock, and that did not mean the car is pulling in at 10 o'clock. That meant you are inside the house, back with the family, at 10 o'clock, which means you should probably get home 9.45-ish. Give yourself a little leeway time in case something goes wrong, right? Now, it was a hard time. Now, I could call and say, hey, Dad, we want to do this. Is it all right if it's 10.30? And he was allowed, you know, as the dad, he was allowed to do that. But I'd better call. I, had, I never once considered going, he won't mind. He won't mind if it's 10.30. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, let's, let's go and get, let's go, let's go to McDonald's real quick. He won't care. Never once. Because I had a healthy fear of him. Because I knew who I was dealing with when I got home. I was not afraid he would ever abuse or hurt or anything like that. I was afraid because I had respect for my dad. That's kind of the fear that we're dealing with here as well. A respect of God grows. Church, God should make you afraid. Do you know how many people in Scripture saw God and lived? I know of one, and he saw his feet. He didn't even see God's face. In fact, we read in Scripture, you can't see God and live. God is something beyond what we could even imagine. God has power and authority beyond anything you or I could reckon. It should terrify you. I've got two sentences here. 
it should terrify you to stand before him one day because of what you have done. I can't wait to stand before him one day because of what Jesus has done. But I have a healthy respect for him while I'm here because I know what he can do to me. The Bible also says, right, Jesus says, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell. There's only one person who can do that. God was showing them, who are you dealing with? Respect me. Your word needs to be your word. The promises you make with me need to be the promises you make with me, and you need to keep them. I am God. I am Alpha and Omega. Right? Pick your favorite name of God. That is who you're dealing with. My personal one is Yahweh. I also love Emmanuel. Emmanuel and Yahweh are my two favorite names for God. That's who you're dealing with. We don't read about that happening again in Scripture. And as far as I know, it hasn't happened again since. I don't mean people lying to God. We've all done that. I mean God taking this step, if you will. The story of Ananias and Sapphira should put a little fear of God into you. It should. If it doesn't, you're not following the right God at that point. If you're like, no, my God wouldn't do that, then you're not following the God of the Bible. Because we read that the God of the Bible did do that. And if he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, it logically means he could do it again. So let's apply it to our lives then. I've said this I don't know how many times this morning, and I'm going to reiterate it. Please, I am begging you, don't lie to God. Just don't do it. If I get a phone call that says, oh, Pastor, um, Laura was struck dead, I'm not going to be happy. I'm also going to go, should I do that funeral? Am I going to be struck dead? Maybe we should take her out back and bury her and just be done. Don't lie. Just don't, don't lie to God. Let's say, just don't lie in general. Right? I said it from the jump. Right? When the fish was this big, and you said it was this big, church, that's not a joke. That's a lie. And that little lie sends you to hell as much as the biggest ones do. Just letting you know. Don't lie to God. I mentioned it earlier as well. Keep your promises to God. Church, I want to tell you something. I don't know of a time when you make a promise with God, it doesn't cost you something. I don't necessarily mean money. It could. But it will cost you energy and time. It might cost you emotionally and mentally. It might. It'll cost you physically. It very well might. Keeping a promise with God costs you something. Here's the incredible thing. When you keep your promises with God, yes, it costs you something, but God showers blessings on you beyond what you can imagine. Maybe money. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not a prosperity preacher up here, right? I've seen people, right? I know people that have given more money than you can imagine 
they generally have just enough to get by. God has not yet showered them in dollars in their bank account. He showers in blessings so many other ways. Keeping a promise with God costs you, yes. I promise you, it's worth the price of admission. Because what God does in return is so much better. You don't know what it's going to look like, right? You might be blessed, right? I'm trying to think of the, of the best way to word this. One of the greatest blessings that God bestows upon me personally uh, as the pastor, and I feel I should say this so that everybody knows, is yes, my wife, but that's not where I'm talking about with this one. A lot of you in here know that I haven't slept well since I was probably in like 6th, 7th grade. I can remember one time in my life where I woke up since then feeling incredibly refreshed. Just like, and I had... I hadn't done this. My dad had broken me up with my girlfriend because, listen, he needed to do it. He needed to do it. I was too scared to do it. And so he said, you're still my son, and you still live under my roof. I still have control over you. Here we go. He's very thankful for that. I slept from 7 o'clock that evening until about 11 o'clock later that evening where I then went, I was on the couch, where I went upstairs and slept till 9 o'clock the next morning. That is the most refreshed I have felt in my life. I say all that to say that I don't get great sleep. And yet, somehow, some way, God always gives me enough for the day ahead that I need. Enough energy, enough mental capabilities, enough emotional, enough spiritual to get through what I need to get through. That's an incredible blessing to me. It's an incredible blessing to me. I hope it's a blessing to you guys because quite often it involves you guys that I'm expounding, expending that energy on as your pastor. Right? God blesses me in that way. He's blessed me, right? He, he has blessed me with two incredible families. Different families, but incredible nonetheless. He's blessed me in that I still, right, I, he, he's blessed me in that I still have enough abilities to, uh, like, like, I love lights, Christmas lights, and snow, and stuff like that, and I still can deal with all of that stuff, right? My eyes were not good, not quite as bad as my sister's, but they weren't good, and he fixed those for me, so that I could see lights again. He's blessed you in ways that you can't imagine as well. I know he has. You know the best way he's blessed you? You're still breathing. Now there's one greater blessing than that, and that's going to be with him. He hasn't done that for you guys yet. He hasn't done it for me either. I'm just a little jealous of my grandma who used to sit back there. Because she gets to go and see him every day now. It's not fair. It is fair. She went through quite a lot more than I did. The fact of the matter is that it costs you, but God blesses. And lastly, lastly, give to God what is God's. Give it to him. He will take it if you don't give it. He will. He will take it if you do not willfully give it to him. So just give it to him. It's easier. 
right? Whether you want to call it tithing, whether you want to call it giving, whether you want to call it whatever word you'd like to use for it, give to God what is God's. He will demand it anyway, and he'll take it from you in a way that is painful if you don't just willfully give him what is his. Frankly, it's all his anyway, but what he's asked for from you, he'll get it from you one way or another. He'll get it from you one way or another, so give it to him anyway. If you make a pledge that you're going to, I don't know, give 10 bucks a month to the roof fund, right? You'd better do it. Not for my sake, not for this church's sake, but because you made a promise with God that you were going to do it. And he'll get it from you one way or another. If you made a promise with God that, uh, I won't go there. I won't go there. Um. Take a lesson from Ananias and Sapphira. Men, stand up. Be the spiritual leaders. Lead towards righteousness. That does not mean you get to make every decision. It does not mean you get to be the overbearing of the household. Not at all. In fact, it means you generally will have to take a back seat on a lot of things. It does mean, though, that you lead towards righteousness. It does mean that when the, as my dad would put it, the proverbial defecation hits the rotary oscillator, it is not your wife or kids who get hit. It's you. It's not fun. It's the way it is. We won't go to Ephesians. Women, you have your own stuff you've got to do that God commands. We won't go there today. Stand up. Be men. Be men. Be men of God. Let me rephrase that. Don't be a man by the world's standards. That's a bad standard. Be a man by God's standards. Just don't lie to him. Be honest with God. He knows it anyway. You make a promise with him, keep it. Be very careful what promises you make with God. If he's asking you to make one, you better do it. If you're like, I don't know if he's asking me to make this one, spend some time asking him. He'll let you know. And make sure God gets what is his, because he's going to anyway. Make it easier on yourself. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning. I thank you as I thanked you already for the season of Advent, for this reminder. Today we talked about, right, of hope. I thank you for hope for what your son did. I also thank you for this reminder of who we are dealing with, what God we serve, the God that we serve. You are not a God who is created by human hands. You are not a God who is in need of us. You are a God who is everything. You are Yahweh, the I am, and you are that God. And I thank you that we serve you. I ask that when Satan, right, when that little, that little whisper comes in our ears, do it this way. It's okay. No one will know. You're right. The church will probably never find out, but God knows. And that should be all the more frightening. I pray when that happens, Father, that you give us the strength to stand up and go, no, I'm following God and what he has told me to do. Father, we praise you. We love you. Into the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.